Welcome to the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. I'm Ben Trueblood, and I'm excited to be spending another episode with you. Just to hear at the beginning, you've heard me say this countless times now, but what's one more time? If you haven't left a rating and review, would love for you to go do that. It helps other people find the podcast, and we want to hear what you think of the podcast. Uh, helps us continue to make it better and better for you, the amazing, loyal, awesome podcast listener. So if you would do that, that would be fantastic. Listen, uh, we've got a good one for you today. Uh, my guest is Jose Rodriguez, and you're going to meet Jose in just a second. Let me tell you, uh, this guy's awesome. I have enjoyed getting to know Jose, and I know that you're going to get uh, enjoy getting to know him as well through today's podcast, and we'll give you some ways that you can connect with Jose at the end of the podcast. So stay all the way to the end. We're going to connect you with Jose and the awesome ministry that he's doing. So Jose has been in uh, student ministry for more than 15 years, um, started as a teenager doing ministry uh, with his peers and things like that. So we're going to get into that a little bit here in just a moment. Uh, Jose is also, he's been a student pastor. He's also uh, the founder and CEO of a ministry called Rescue a Generation that we're going to get into as well. Uh, sought after motivational speaker uh, and speaker for churches, passion for young people and boldness give, uh, man, make him an awesome fit for uh, communicating with teenagers and being a part of the ministry that you're doing. So again, if you want to connect with Jose, we'll have that for you right uh, at the end. Jose, welcome to the show, man. So glad you're here. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm, I'm really excited and honored to be a part of this. So let's start at the very beginning. Right. Like let's well, maybe not the very, very beginning. Let's <laughs> let's go back to high school student. Jose, you mentioned uh, to me, um, man, I started in student ministry as a teenager. Uh, so talk about you as a teenager and how that all began to happen where you said, man, I, why wait? I'm going to jump into this right now. Yes. Yeah, so I um, am a poster child for a bus ministry. I mean, I was probably the epitome of a student. Uh, that you really wouldn't be fond of in your ministry. I was getting mm -hmm. workers, pastors are run for their money. In fact, my first day at church on the bus, um, I'm acting up because that's what I did really well. And the bus captain didn't know how to handle me specifically. And he goes to pray for me. And he just tried to lay his hand on my like shoulder. And I didn't know what he was doing. I just knew we were in some intense conversation and he goes to lay a hand on me and I laid a hand back on him. It was just a different kind of hand. And so I got kicked out of church <laughs> my first day at church for fighting my bus captain. And so literally, I mean, it gives you a little bit of like how I was as a teenager. Well, thank God they came back around and invited me back. Um, and what ended up happening was um, I got thrown into doing dramas skits. I uh, joined a leadership and training program prior to my salvation. And it was okay. a really important component because they, they threw me out. They were telling me to tell my testimony. And I really did not know Jesus yet. I was mm. just part of this. They let me belong before they ever expected me to believe. And um, I believe now because I belonged first. Um, and wow. that was really, really special for me. And so uh, 15 years old, I get, to go, I get to go on a mission trip to Belize, Central America. 
and um, I'm on this trip and they're asking me to share my testimony again. I'm not saved yet. And so I'm, I'm telling them, I, we get to the first school, I share my testimony and like we give the altar call and almost every hand in the school went up to receive Christ. And mm. for, uh, for me, somebody who's not saved, I was shook. I was like, what in the, I had to make sure that they asked the right question. I was like, what just happened? And yeah. it really messed with me because I knew I wasn't there yet in my own heart. And it was that trip that really, um, I had like really had to completely put my faith in Jesus. And I came back and I, the funny, the funny story is, you know, I think every camp, every mission trip changes people for a good two to three weeks. And then it's back to the regular, you know, scheduled mm -hmm. program. So I come back on this high, the spiritual high. I'm gung ho about Jesus now. And three weeks later, my family goes through some craziness. My uncle is arrested and gets put in prison for life. And I don't know mm -hmm. how to process that after salvation, that pain, that brokenness. So I go back to what I what I know, which was drugs, which was gangs, which was the life that I had grew up living. Um, but at the same time, I was still in the church um, now being a part of this leadership training program. So again, they allowed me to just kind of be thrown in. And it wasn't until a couple of years later, I was 17 years old when um, I ended up this funny, it's really sad, but it's funny now that I look back at it. I ended up getting kicked out of this program for stealing the church van. Um, and wow. Yeah, we were crazy, man. I'm telling you. And it's so funny because when I became a youth pastor, somebody gave us a van to pick up kids. And I reached back out to my mentor and she said, I'm going to laugh when you tell me one of your kids <laughs> for a joy, right? Like, and so I got out of it all for stealing the church van. And I went a year not in church, not plugged in. But I remember that feeling of belonging and that feeling that there is something special to this. And um, I, that never left me. So that whole year, I'm, I'm something's missing in my life now. And I'm like, I eventually I got to get it back. Anyways, went back 17 years old and I made a sober decision. It was just a, a commitment that I was going to follow Christ for the rest of my life. And that was what I often would refer to my second salvation experience, but it was the <laughs> one that, that stuck. I wasn't going yeah. back from that point forward. And so 17, again, now I'm back in this program. I'm back doing ministry. So I'm becoming leaders on these buses. We're busting in literally 2,000 kids every Saturday. So wow. it was a massive bus ministry. And and I'm kind of raising up in the ranks, you know. And so it's, it was just kind of that that threw me in to ministry. And I haven't looked back since. I've been really doing student ministry ever since. Man. So uh, the church that uh, I was in uh, as a teenager had a, a bus ministry and then as an intern, some of our roles were involved with the bus ministry and going out into the communities and saying, hey, we're going to have the buses here on this day, be out here at this time, we'll take you, bring you back to so Man, when you say bus ministry, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. And what a story. So uh, fought the bus captain the first day at church, came back around. Uh, man, what I think is really, really awesome. And like looking back, could totally see God's hand every step of the way through yeah. this. But the fact that you were involved in this leadership development and mentoring program before you came to know the Lord, that was influential in you coming to know the Lord. Yeah, man, that says a lot to me about the ministry that, that you are in now where you are doing that very thing to kids who don't yet know the Lord that are 
that you hope, man, we're going to use this as a vehicle to Absolutely. introduce them to the kingdom of God. Yeah, so 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 important. Um, and in fact, I always would say, even as a youth pastor, I'm, I was youth pastoring in San Bernardino. When I moved out here, I, I really as a full time missionary, so I had to raise my mm. own salary to be a youth pastor full time for the church. So I mean, I'm I'm working hard, but I never got your typical youth pastor stories. I mean, I had really dramatic. Um, cra- I, I used to always say, you know, you know, you're an urban youth pastor when supporting your kids is in the courtroom and not the basketball court. Like, mm. you know, that it was that type of uh, yeah. uh, responsibility that I had to steward some of these kids. But because of my upbringing and how crazy that I was and the things that I was doing prior to salvation, it just gave me a grace and an understanding for really some of the most broken students that I've seen um, in ministry in all 15 years that I've been doing it. And so, um, man, I'm, I'm not moved by their craziness. I'm not moved by, I always tell, and I I say it jokingly, but you know, I'm like, if you ever kill somebody, I want you to be able to be honest with me about that. And I was like, give me a minute to get my thoughts together because I would be shocked. But like, it's that type of love and mercy and grace that I think Jesus shows us um, and then walks us through the process to healing and finding him uh, through trauma and through craziness that happens in our life. And and I've just been committed, man, to really working with some of the least, the lost, the last, uh, no matter what that looks like. And I, I wish maybe one day I'll get like a uh, kind of a cute youth pastor story where, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> small where I'm like, I can handle that. But for now, most of the stories I've gotten have been extreme, like extreme, extreme. Yeah. Uh, but again, it, my upbringing, I think, speaks to that. And the type of ministry we do now is committed to working with those students. Man, one of the things that you said in talking about your story, too, that just stood out to me was you described yourself as, man, I was one of those kids that was probably really frustrating to student pastors. Uh, I forget your exact wording, but that that was the basic uh, thing. And having served as a youth pastor with stories that were crazy and stories like, like you said, like supporting them in the courtroom instead of on the basketball court. What would you say, and before we move on to the to the rest of this, I just want to camp out here for just a sec, because I think this is really, really important. What would you say to a youth pastor who has trouble dealing with what I think we could like hard kids, like kids that you that you described yourself as like, man, I was probably really hard for for student pastors. What advice would you give from your expertise on? Here's how you can minister to the students that seem really hard to minister to. Yeah, well, number one, I think that we have to move past their initial wall that they put up. Most mm-hmm. students are acting out for some reason. There is something deeper on the inside than what they're putting out. And if you're moved by what they're putting out, you'll never get beyond that. And so I always say that, mm-hmm. you know, as a youth worker, a youth pastor, our job is to be professional gold diggers. And we got to get beyond that rubble, that dirt, that mess that they're putting out in the first place to find the gold on the inside of them. And thank God for a mentor in my life that saw beyond me fighting my bus captain, stealing a church van. Uh, there was a lady named Nancy that never gave up on Jose. And because mm. she did not give up on me, I was able to literally walk out this, this faith life now that I'm living. Um, and you know, most people would never know Nancy. 
But I mean, she is literally the MVP in this story. She was committed to me through all of my mess, right? And so yeah. I think that's the, thing. the other thing I would think is how we steward some of those students will determine who and what they become in their future. I think if you steward a knucklehead the right way, you'll see a Saul turn to Paul, right? Mm. Those are the ones that when the conversion happens, they're just as radical as they were giving you a run for your yeah. money as they are now on your team. And I think, I and I've seen personally, sometimes youth workers are, are moved by that initial wall they put up and they're not able to work past that. And I've seen it push students out of church, push students out of community, because we were not able to really be a gold digger in that moment. And so for me, I would say you got to get past the wall to really find the gold and the treasure in that individual. Uh, but the other thing is you have to have thick skin and a soft heart and be willing to not give up on somebody. We, we got to go the distance with young people. And I always say you give up on a student when God gives up on you. Mm. And I think that's a good measure. If God has not given up on you yet, then you have no right or responsibility to give up on one of these kids yet. Man, that's good. So, so here you are, uh, your youth pastor in San Bernardino, and uh, you you're, you're doing this kind of ministry, and you look around and say, "Man, I've I've got to go where they are. I've got to get on the school campuses. I've got to do ministry there." And uh, and take the story from there, because initially you were struggling, right? To to like, how are these school campuses? I'm a youth pastor. How am I going to get on these campuses to minister to these kids? Yeah, so I, I go to uh, I really and I honestly looked up one of the worst schools in San Bernardino because I thought, man, if anybody would need a youth pastor on the campus, it would be one of those <laughs> schools, right? And yeah, I thought it was an easy yes. So I go and I meet with this principal, and the principal gives me pushback and says, well, we don't know. And, and I wasn't asking for a platform to speak. I was, I, I literally said, I will pick up trash at lunchtime if you'll let me come once a week to hang out for lunches. As, and I'll go through the background check, like, you know, all the legal stuff, like I yeah. would make sure we're in the clear, but, and she literally said, I, we don't want you preaching to our students. And because you're a pastor, we're not gonna do this. And so it, it kind of took me back at first. And I was like, I was frustrated. And I'm like, God, these kids are on campuses. That's where they spend most of their time at. I know if we're going to be effective as a ministry, we got to be on campuses. And I felt like um, I've just been too much of a thug my whole life to take no for an answer this one time. <laughs> so what I did was I, we went back and I, I started thinking through San Bernardino County. It was the second poor a city specifically. It was the second poorest city in the nation, second to Detroit at the time. And so poverty is crazy. Gangs are running rampant. Murders are happening all the time. And I started to think, what is the antidote to that? And how do I secularize that language? Right. So, so for me, the antidote to poverty would be hope. It'd be the hope of the gospel. It would be Jesus. Right. Um, and when I think of that, I'm like, how do you put that in? in regular language that is not Christianese. And so what I did was I, I wrote a curriculum teaching basic bottom line success principles. Mm -hmm. These students are struggling with behavioral issues, truancy issues. And what happens is schools are navigating how do we handle kids who are being disruptive? 
Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the school to prison pipeline, but what they're saying is how we discipline kids on campuses is directly contributing to the prison system. Why? Because if you expel a student, where else are they going to go? They're going to go to the streets um, and the streets are doing a great job at discipling students. They just Mm -hmm. really are. And so we see that happening. And so I thought, you know what, let me let me approach this differently. I went back to some schools. I didn't go back to that one yet, but I went back to some schools and I said, how about this? How about you give me up to 30 of your worst students and let me life coach them because I'm a certified life coach. Let me life coach them um, and teach success principles. Now, it was very secularized in my approach and I did that on purpose. The craziest thing happened. These schools opened wide up. Mm. These kids were in our program. First first year we ever did this, I had a young lady come in. The teacher told me that young lady is crazy. She just got suspended for fighting the security guard at our school. Like she's a hothead. This young lady comes in and I am literally talking about really just the power of your mind. You know, it's that, you know, the renewing of our mind, but I'm just using it in in seconds. So I'm talking about the power of your mind. And I'm asking, you know, these, these students, what's the worst thing you've ever done? I had this young lady say, I fought my grandmother and I was like, well, that's pretty intense. I don't think I would ever fight my grandma. And, but mm-hmm. I asked her, can we walk through this together? Can we process it? So I started to ask her a series of questions and really what it boiled down to, she was in so much pain because she felt like her family didn't love her. That's mm-hmm. really where that anger came from. The yeah. light bulb came on that day. That lady, that young lady never came back to our program. I wish she did, but she, at the end of the year, she comes back, Ben, and she says, I just had to come back and say thanks for the first time ever I've walked away from fights this year hmm. because of one conversation that was somewhat secularized, right? But I was able to meet her where she was at um, and we start to see results. And so now what happens, schools are seeing the value in the program because kids aren't fighting. They aren't skipping classes anymore. Their grades are going up. And because they see the, because we're adding value to the schools, now the doors are wide open. And it wasn't until probably a couple years later, I was doing this completely free as a youth pastor. I just wanted to reach students. A couple years later, um, I learned the process of really schools have money set aside for programs like this. Um, and I had no idea. So what I was willing to do for that school for free, I'm, this might sound a little haughty, but just bear with me. What I was willing to do for that school for free, they now pay us thousands of dollars to be on their campus once a week. To, yeah. to work with some of these students, but we're seeing so much change and growth. And here's the dopest part about this. We're earning the right in the school and in the students' lives and in their parents' lives to ultimately invite them somewhere. There's no law in America that says you cannot invite students somewhere off campus. There's no law that says anything like that. Every year we do a faith-based youth conference called The Takeover. And we, we, I mean, we go hard and we do this big concert and we invite these kids to a free concert and, and we go hard to push this, our secular programming on campuses, get these kids to a free concert. And we bring in some of the most dynamic gospel communicators and we, they're going to hear the gospel that night. They're going to come for a free concert, um, but they're going to hear the gospel. And then we're going to try to plug them into a local youth group. But ultimately what it boiled down to for us was, how do we add value to the city we live in, to the schools that we're on, beyond us just trying to preach the gospel? 
How do we really see natural change? And I'm telling you, they've opened up staff meetings to us. We speak to teachers, to administrators. We've seen literally the whole morale in some of these campuses literally go way up uh, because we have a faith-based group of people that are on these campuses reaching them the best way we know how. Man, it is such an awesome story at so many levels. So like, just to call out a couple of them, youth pastor asking a question that youth pastors, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you've probably heard us talk about campus ministry in finding a way. It may not be the same way at every school, but you've got to find a way. And Jose, you're, you're asking that question. How do I get on the campus? Shut doors, shut doors, shut doors. Okay, this is the way I'm going to go all in on this way. And yeah. then being willing to say, I'm going to put my agenda aside, my cool. spiritual, like I, I want to introduce these teenagers to the kingdom of God. Absolutely. But I won't be able to do that if I go in with that first. Yep. So being willing to say, what are these spiritual principles and how can I put them into a language that I will be able to teach and plant these seeds? Listen, and some of you might be might be hearing this and you might be thinking, man, secularized spiritual principles. Listen, I, I, I think we have to admit this is one of those things I think we have to admit that God can do what he wants to with those seeds. And if we're saying, here's these spiritual principles, and I'm going to say them in this way so that I can begin to plant seeds for the gospel, uh, I think we can all agree God's in charge of watering those seeds, and God's going to do what he's going to do with it, right? Can I make a comment to that? Here's here's the thing, and, I, and I've just, you know, I, I wrestled with this in the beginning. I, I got to be yeah. honest. This wasn't an easy decision to just, oh, let's go secular. I mean, listen, I love Jesus. And I want to introduce kids to Jesus. But here's what I realized. I am full of faith. And anybody that comes in contact with me is going to know who I am, mm-hmm. what I'm about. These kids knew I was a youth pastor. They they follow me on Instagram. So they see me live out my faith, talking about Jesus, preaching the gospel. They see me doing this on a regular basis. So me as a person, I'm full of faith. All I did was found a way to meet them where they were at so that I, the person, can now have a relationship with them. And because really, you know, discipleship is the key to successful ministry, especially youth ministry, um, since the beginning of, yep. of the Bible, right? Really, <laughs> like, it's, it's what Jesus spent most of his time doing. And we're doing it. These kids are required now by their school to be in our program for 10 weeks. Mm. I have 10 weeks that you have to be with me. If you don't know me or like me by the end of these 10 weeks, we have, you know, I didn't do something right. You know what I mean? And so the content was just to get our foot in the door. That was just to to open up. It's it's the apostle Paul saying, I became all things to all men. But real relationship building, discipleship, that's ultimately pointing kids to Jesus is what our whole team is all about. Um, and I think for so long, we have been trying to get kids to come to us, mm. come to my youth group, come to my event, come to my program. And I think in this generation, very specifically with the pandemic and all that's happened, the tables have turned. We now have to find more and more ways 
to go where students are at. And we're seeing that with the digital rise that's happening um, in ministries. And that's all we did. We found a way to go where they're at. Sure, we used a secular program, but it's a secular program that I wrote. I didn't go find somebody else's. Like, you know, I got to control the content and all of that. But every person on my staff loves the Lord, is involved in youth ministry, um, and they are, to me, the answer as they build relationships with these students. It's discipleship at the end of the day. Man, I absolutely love it. And I think it's something that I hope that in this moment there are youth pastors having that light bulb come on that's like, okay, I'm seeing how this all fits together. And maybe I've had some trouble getting connected with schools in my area. And I would say that what Jose's talking about here with schools providing funding for things like this, it's not just a Southern California, San Bernardino thing. Like this is standardized public school. This, this is what they do, this standardized public school programming. And so these opportunities exist out there and, Yes, like you're probably not going to be able to go in on the first day and stand up in the classroom and say, Jesus is Lord and you should know it. But here's the deal. By not doing that, from what Jose's saying, you actually get to show them through your life. You get to show them more permanently over a longer period of time who Jesus is. And you, Jose, when you were telling your story earlier, you used the phrase, you're earning the right with the schools, with the teenagers and with their parents. And I think that is such an important thing to remember is that earning the right piece. It's, it's, it's so important, man. I think that, you know, ministry now looks different than it did 20 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, even, even the way people view church is completely different. I mean, I, I felt like I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is the, the Bible belt. And I feel like everybody knew about church and was going to church. Nowadays, it does not look like that. And so I do think our responsibility as youth pastors, as youth leaders, is to find a way into these students' lives to earn the right to invite to them. And you do that by adding value everywhere you go. Um, we, had a, we had a teacher tell us that they said, thank you for being in the trenches with our kids for as long as you have. And this is what they said. They said, we've seen so many faith leaders come in until they got to speak or got to do one thing and then we never seen them again. Mm. Our commitment to that school for the last six years has changed the dynamic and it's changed how they view Christian ministries. They it's know huge. we're field and they know what we do. But I mean, San Bernardino's had a lot of tragedy in the last several years, the 2015 shooting. There was another school shooting uh, a couple of years after that. And when the school shooting happened, all the parents were coming to that school to get reunited with their kids. And so it was chaos. Well, who was one of the first people they called to come meet on the campus? It was us because we had been in the trenches with those kids for so long. And yeah. so I think that earning the right is so important because when, when things happen and they will, and they are, and we're seeing them play out, they're looking for somebody to call and who better than a faith filled Jesus loving person to be present, um, just to be supportive in, in those crazy moments. Yeah, man. So you, and this is something too, that, uh, benefits the school in very tangible ways, benefits the futures of kids. Like you said, stewarding that moment with those teenagers can help 
decide their future. So this is both a thing uh, that helps the, like if we could say it this way, that benefits the lower case K kingdom of the school and the communities around and the uppercase K kingdom in being able to build a foundation and earn the right to share the gospel of Jesus. And they get to see it in you all the time. So here you are, Jose, you're, you're doing this ministry. You're beginning to realize, Oh, this is something that has funding along with it. And ultimately that leads you to found rescue a generation, right? Yeah, absolutely. So four years ago, we're going into our fifth year now. Um, I was still youth pastoring, but I, I knew that if if we were going to you know get into some of the funding, it was going to be a little bit challenging with them paying a youth ministry for it, right? So we, we felt the need to uh, launch the nonprofit, um, and it has been um, incredible. But here's the really cool part for us: our big picture vision is to we know youth workers are some of the most underpaid and under-resourced people really, I think, in the church. I mean, I think when you look at budgets and stuff and um, and not not everybody, but some for sure, like we, we see yeah. a real shortage of uh, resources going into youth ministry. For us, this is such a kingdom win because if we can contract with a school and pay a youth pastor to be on a campus that they need to be on anyways, right? Now they're getting funding we're getting funding and the school is benefiting because students are getting better and the youth groups are benefiting because now you're building relationships with kids that have to be in these programs and there is no law to say you can't invite so if you meet weekly i mean it it does you a disservice to not invite these kids to your own program on a weekly basis i was so vocal about my friday night youth group and i was i mean every kid that ever walked into that that program with me they knew I was a youth pastor and they knew where they could come see me. And and some of them did. Uh, we had actually a, a young lady came, uh, was really suicidal so much that she was in the hospital, literally came to the program, received Christ the first night she came. And, and that wasn't our story. Every, we, every week we didn't have people receiving Christ. But for her, it was that moment, found community. And we went to an event. Uh, she was with us probably two years. We went to an event her senior year. Um, and she was really introverted, really quiet, really shy, wasn't outgoing. She wasn't that type of a student. And she said, man, for the first time ever, I feel like I found family um, mm. in our group. And I just think there's so many students that are in the fringes, that are on the outskirts, that are probably not going to walk through the front door of your church, but would come to a program. Right. And so for us, the big win as an organization is to resource the kingdom, both youth pastors that want to be on campuses and schools to help them get better. But we want to grow the church. The the I believe the church is was God's answer to society. Like, like that was why it was birthed in the book of Acts. It's why it's so pivotal now. It's why we're being attacked so much in this season. And because yeah. of that, um, I think that we still have to build the local church, but how we do it is changing a little bit differently. We, you know. It's no longer like flyers on doors and, you know, like things that it used to be back in the day. Now we have to find different ways to get the access to hearts. And so, yeah. Yeah. So uh, just talk a little bit. I mean, we're obviously in a really strange time in terms of schools. And I know all states are different in terms of what schools are doing. And uh, so, yeah, you know, as you listeners, you'll have to contextualize this a little bit to what your schools are doing. Uh, but Jose, talk, man, I'd, I'd love to get 
just a couple things from you on, I'm a student pastor and man, I'm, I'm thinking about campus ministry. How can I get started? What are some, what are some things like, help me take the first couple steps in doing it? Well, I think the most important thing is for you to find the need of the, the city you're in, the schools that you're around. Every school has a different need. If you're dealing with a Title I school, uh, their need is completely different than a school that is not a Title I school, right? So most of the schools that we're around are Title I schools. So the first thing that we did was we found the need. To, remember I said like our, our thing was to, to deal with poverty. That was a big issue in my city, right? And poverty leads to so many behavioral issues. We, we see hopelessness. It, it ruins the lives of students because now you turn to the streets, you turn to all of these things. And so for us, the big picture was poverty. If you zoom in a little bit, um, poverty translated on a school campus was behavioral issues and truancy issues. That's what they saw more than anything. And they were looking for solutions. On top of that, the other part of that need were uh, there was a lot of legal stuff happening around how we discipline kids. So there's there was laws that needed to be changed. There were uh, people that were fighting. And, and because black and brown students were so largely affected by the discipline policies in these schools. So people were advocating. And so most of them were fighting for policy changes, but mm. nobody was saying, give us those kids. And so we took the approach that here's the need. There's things that need to be changed. We're seeing it on a regular basis. How do we go and position ourselves to meet this direct need? And I think that if you find a way to meet a need, you'll never be without an opportunity period. And I just think across the board, we see um, people, again, it's, it's that, and, I'm, I'm, and let me just be clear, I don't think you should bait and switch everybody. I don't, I don't, I don't think you dangle the carrot in front of their face. I think yeah. at the end of the day, we're meeting a need. And if this kid never comes, I hope they do, right? I hope they, they hear the gospel. But if they never come, I'm trusting that the seeds I planted that's right. And the time I was with them was impactful enough that somewhere along the line, somebody else is going to come and then they'll see, we'll see the, the real change and transformation. But I think ultimately as a youth pastor, look for the needs in your community, in your schools, in your school district, and find a way to position yourself. Now, it might take some homework. It might take you looking into stats and numbers and data. It, it might take um, even you trying to just kind of shoot your shot and go meet with schools and ask them, yeah. what do you need? So he, he, here's what we did at first. We It was really cool. We When we started serving schools as a youth pastor, they let us have a success club. So they gave us some of these students, some of these uh, rock star students that needed some support, right? Mm -hmm. um, then they also let us um, serve in the Christian club. So now... I'm also in the Christian club sharing the gospel, right? So we, we can do that as well. But then we also once a month, um, and we were not a affluent church at all, but once a month we would provide lunch for teachers and administrators. And then do you know how far that went? They knew every month at this day, <clears throat> our church was coming in to serve that they were looking forward to it. Again, we found the need, we built the relationship, and I'm telling you, the access we have to some of these schools right now, if I wanted, and, and I, we've done this, Ben, um, if, I, if I wanted 
to go and do an after-school rally, open-air preaching the gospel. As long as it's after-school and students are not required to be there, and if I brought a Christian rapper in with me and a DJ, these schools probably, and we've had schools actually not tell us no, we've been able to do this. I've seen hundreds of students give their lives to Christ because of how we first served the school. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe in the last year of me youth pastoring, we did this uh, school tour where we were in three schools and it was after school, it was outside, but we had the music blaring and we preached the gospel and students were listening. Um, and I'm telling you, students were responding to the call and it, it was just really, really special, but we, we had to first earn the right by meeting the need that was in that area. And so whatever that need is around us, I think positioning yourself to meet that need will open up so much for the youth pastor. Yeah, I love that. And from what you said earlier too, continuing to be willing to meet that need even after you get to do the thing, whatever the thing is, continuing to meet that and not just say, all right, I was able to do it. I'm out of here. That was such wisdom you gave us earlier in that. So Rescue a Generation, uh, something that that you founded that kind of uh, grew from this curricu- uh, mentoring and success principles curriculum and now exists as uh, its standalone nonprofit that, stu- that student pastors can connect with and say, okay, if I'm looking for a way to uh, kind of do what Jose's talking about, then Jose's ministry, like you guys have put together, program and the training and here's everything you need. So I definitely want uh, for you to be able to talk about that because I know there are going to be student pastors saying, man, how can I plug into Rescue a Generation and what Jose is doing? Yeah. So we've created a turnkey solution that can go anywhere. This is the coolest thing about what we do is I could move tomorrow to Buffalo, New York and do exactly what I'm doing in San Bernardino, California. The need is still Mm -hmm. there. Um, the issues are still there, um, and we've created the packaging from the press kit um, to the the language that's needed to get access to schools um, and meeting with principals. and And here's here's how we we've shaped this. It's literally the click of some buttons. Um, you know, you you meet with the principal, show them press kits, show them videos of history, things that we've done talk about the data and literally rescue a generation will do all of that with these principles. So if there's a youth pastor that's like, Hey man, I'm interested in like really being a part of what rescue a generation is doing in my city. It's as easy as connecting with us. You set the meeting up with the principal. We come in with that meeting because we know the language because we've, mm-hmm. we've done the homework. Right. Um, and we talk about how we can serve the school. Um, and then once things unfold and let's say we got a 10-week program so we do we do three different things we do virtual assemblies now with the pandemic but we do school assemblies so that's a one-time you know just a message of hope it's a little bit secular um but it's still us speaking life in the students we do a 10-week program and that's where we see most change most results um and then now what we offer schools is actually a 52-week video um digital um resource where the language schools are using right now, Ben, is social emotional learning. That's it's, it's what everybody is pressing into. And we've learned the language they're using. And now as we're talking to them, we created this 52 week resource of social emotional learning. And so literally it's a turnkey solution. Somebody reaches out to us. They set up the meeting with the principals. 
And then we start to process from there and it's as easy as that. Man, that's great. So let's uh, give them, give people the easiest ways to connect websites, how to connect with you, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Website is rescueageneration.org. Um, Instagram, Facebook, you can find us. Instagram is rescue a gen, um, G E N. And, uh, we're all over the place. You can look up me personally, um, you know, on Instagram, Facebook or whatever, but go to the website, you'll see all that we do. Um, and I, I just think that we've, we've tried to create a solution both for youth workers and for schools that are going to meet, meet both needs. Um, and look, we know, we know youth ministries want to grow. We know they want to reach more students. And, um, Last thing I'll just say this: we had a we had a when I first started was working in some Christian clubs and they were smaller Christian clubs. I know some Christian clubs have 300 kids. These Christian clubs were like 25, 30 people. And I had a couple of youth pastors got a little intimidated by me being in there. They didn't want me to steal their kids, right? Mm. And here was my my approach was, you know, you have 25 out of 2,500 kids that are in this school. You can have all 25 of those. I was like, I, I want the, the 2000 that's not coming to the Christian club. And we've been able to, to do just that. We've been at least these mm-hmm. kids are required to be in our programming. They probably would never walk into a Christian club. And, and I'm, let me just be honest. We get some 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 hardcore students sometimes. And so it, it does take work the way we do it. I'm not going to I don't want to understand that like. It takes some real work, some thick skin. We've had students cuss us out, walk out on us. But man, yeah. I fought my bus captain the first week at church. Like, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, I'm like, that's easy. I'll get over that. Like, come back next week. We're going to love you again. And we're going to work through this. And so uh, you, you can find us all over social media and, and the website. Cool. Go to uh, Rescue a Generation uh, online. Like Jose said, find them on Instagram at Rescue a Gen. Jose, man, I love the story that God is writing uh, with the ministry that he's put in your heart. I love uh, that you were a youth pastor and probably consider yourself a youth pastor still in yeah. a lot of ways. It doesn't it doesn't leave uh, still working with teenagers and Man, I love hearing about the ministry that you started in Rescue Generation that comes birthed from youth ministry for youth ministry and for schools. It's a fantastic story, man. I appreciate you being on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Ben Lifeway. Um, such a fan of what you guys are doing. I really appreciate this time. Man, thank you so much. Head to Rescue a Generation online, Rescue a Gen on Instagram. Connect with Jose so you can find out how to plug into what he's doing. This has been another episode of the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. We'll see you next time.